hello! That was new for me. New music, everybody. Welcome to Intellicast. This is season four, episode two. For the first time, I think in the history of the podcast, I got to listen to the music as you played it in. Is that right, Brian? Yeah, pretty much. Man, innovation. I normally add it in afterwards. Year, year four, we get to hear the music. It's <laughs> constantly innovating here at Intellicast. This episode, as always, brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. You can reach us at Intellicast at emi-rs.com. Please follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research or Intellicast1. And my favorite way of getting feedback is through our voicemail or text. That is 513-401-5463. Well, I guess the big reveal is we heard Walk This Way as the intro music, right? That is correct. Um, We did get some listener feedback on this. We did. So, you know, I think last episode I was like, I don't care what the music is because I'll never never have to hear it. And in episode two, I'm hearing it. So, but it's not bad music. I'm just joking around. What do you think of the music, Mary? I like the choice. This song was one of my top three picks when we were pulling our office. So I'm happy with it. Okay. And I, I was thinking this morning as I was actually doing show prep today, oh, well, next year maybe I'll get to pick music since Brian picked it this year. You know what? We kind of compromised this year. This wasn't Brian's. I don't think it was his first or second choice. This was kind of a collective decision. So I think next year we'll have to kind of do the same thing. Yeah, I agree, because I didn't even put my top choice in the list that we had everyone vote on. So Was it O Canada? <laughs> no, I left that off. I left that, all my Rush off, my Shania Twain, any insert any Canadian artist. This reminds me, yesterday someone called me, and I had music going on in the background, and I was playing O Canada. And not, this is not a joke. I was playing <laughs> O Canada last night as sung by the crowd in one of the hockey games it might have been Edmonton, um, and it was amazing. I love when large crowds can kind of be one entity, and um, it was kind of an acapella performance by the people in the crowd at this hockey game when people were allowed to get in groups of more than six. And it was like you know sixteen thousand people all singing "Oh Canada," and the person on the phone was like, uh, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm listening to the best national anthems in the world," and this was the third one I listened to. <laughs> <laughs> this would have been good under the, the the four P's, under weird things you do under quarantine, because I was just going through country by country, listening to the most powerful national hymns. Mary, do you agree with me that Brian seems like he has way too much time on his hands? <laughs> I, I Yes, I was going to say that Brian has too much time on his hands, but I also just mentally filed this under another one of those Brian quirks, like his infatuation with um, public transportation in different yes. major cities. I think this yes. goes right under that list of Brianisms. Yeah, so... I'd love people's feedback. If you have feedback on the best national anthem outside of the U.S., um, let's hear it. Oh, Canada's way up there. But Russia is way up there, too. It's really powerful. Um, you usually only hear them during the Olympics and kind of, you know, World Cup maybe. But I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. But anyway, this was not on the agenda to talk about today. Joining us, as you've heard already, having introduced her, is uh, Mary Rose Draper. Is this your second this is third time second? on the- I believe this is just my second. Well, no, you know, we did the live broadcast, so this would be my third. Oh, that's right. You joined the the, the live broadcast, the famous live broadcast, um, which was so successful. Um, and Mary, let's see, your job title, Senior Research Manager and Network Quality Officer, is that right? 
Yes, that is my very long-winded title here at EMI. Well, we wear lots of hats, and Network Quality Officer almost shouldn't be the second thing listed because we'll talk about that today, by the way, um, our partner network a little bit. But that's a big part of your role along with being a research manager, and we wanted to bring you on today because the listeners demanded it. Back by popular demand. <laughs> popular demand. Do, we, do you want to get right into the, the public's discussion, Brian, or we want to do something else? I feel like I missed something. Well, that's part of the reason we had Mary on was to talk publics because it has been a holiday has passed. So let's get into that. <laughs> All right. So if you listen to, I guess it was last February, we had an episode with Mary on, along with um, Shannon, um, a lovely person who works with one of our clients' directions research here locally. It was kind of a weird situation where we found out that two random people both were obsessed with Publix, and we had them come on the podcast. We talked about Publix and began kind of a year-long segment about Publix, um, which, by the way, we still were looking for our Publix guest. But I know, Mary, one of the things we talked about was um, over Thanksgiving, this is how this all started. Every Thanksgiving, you go to the nearest Publix and spend a couple days, and they think you're a regular there, even though you live a couple hundred miles away. And so the update is uh, we'd love to hear – have you been to Publix in the past couple months? And if so, what was your experience like? Oh, okay. So, yeah, this year was a bit unique in circumstances. Um, I think hopping in the car and driving four hours for a random um, trip to Publix during a pandemic, um, maybe not the best choice of activities to do. However, I did travel um, to see a football game in Orlando. UC played UCF in November. So I was able to visit the original favorite Publix of mine that's in Orlando, Florida. Um, so I did do a Publix trip there. And oddly, um, that fun experience was me trying to pack um a large volume of coffee in my suitcase and having to go back through airport security. Um, when, when they check your carry on bag and you take out um, several bags of coffee, I do think that they look at you as if perhaps you're trying to smuggle drugs. Yeah. That's, and <laughs> there's movies with like you smuggle in certain Ill illegal drugs and coffee, right? Yeah. And so um, my, um, companion that I was traveling with was very nervous. Like, I don't know if I let you through security with all this coffee. And so as they checked my bag and they let me go through, he kind of had a sigh of relief and, and made a face. And I'm like, please don't do that. They're going to think that I'm doing something other than bring, bring coffee back home from Publix. Um, so, um, yeah, so I did, I did do a Florida Publix trip in November. We had Andrew Moffat on. Is that the Andrew Moffat Publix? Andrew Moffitt's Publix is in Palm Coast. So um, okay. I, I did visit. So when I'm out of town in a place where there is a Publix, I do make a daily Publix run, even if it's just <laughs> to get um, an individual size sweet tea or maybe one of the cookies that they have at their deli. Um, but I was able to share this experience, as I mentioned, with the person that I've been traveling with. I have been to. So um, in that November, I went to the Palm Coast and Orlando Publix. And then um, after that, and around New Year's, I went to Atlanta and we got to experience Publix Atlanta style, um, which that was the first two level grocery store that I had been to where there had an elevator and an escalator for your cart. Oh, <laughs> was, what did you think of that? Um, I took a video of it. <laughs> 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 to 
like a video recording of it. I'll have to show you. Um, and then I also, we drove to Atlanta. So on the way back, the last um, Publix that there is on the way back to Cincinnati is, is in Na- Knoxville, Tennessee. So I got to experience the Knoxville and the service equal, equally as satisfying in all of these areas. I did load up an entire trunk full of groceries and I may or may not currently be hiding public branded bottles of water from my children. <laughs> all right. So much to unpack here. Yeah. Um, first of all, you went to four different publics that I count. Yes. I, I bet there's more. Um, that you're not telling us about, <laughs> but let's just say for, I like that you found the public's closest to Cincinnati on a drive back from Atlanta. Yes. <laughs> Absolute closest that I love. And the next thing is not only are you hiding public items from your children, you said it's bottled water. <laughs> yes. So um... the most generic thing possible. <laughs> Well, so when I get home, so, okay, first, the last Publix um, heading up 75 North on your way to Cincinnati, like I mentioned, was in Knoxville. So I did find the closest one because of the infamous um, chicken tender pub sub that they sell. And my son is a big fan. So being that it's about three and a half hours away, I stopped at the closest one so that the sub would still be kind of warm at the time that I brought it home for him. Uh, And then, you know, traveling with groceries. But yeah, so I stock up on essentially just things that have the public's brand so that when I go out my kitchen, it feels like home. Um, And so I get little things, you know, non-perishables with uh, the public's brand on them. But this year is the first time I think I bought a case of water because I just hadn't thought of it before. So I had the 24 pack of water. Um, and I brought it home. And so my children are equally as crazed about this. I mean, I definitely sound on this podcast like the crazy Publix lady, like you have crazy cat ladies. Um, but my kids are enthusiastic about it as well. So I'm not the only one. If I bring home, you know, Publix branded pasta, they want to make that for dinner that night. So wow. when I brought the water home uh, the next day, I'm like, out of this 24 pack, there's only like three bottles of water left. What's going on? So I did stash them away so that at some point when maybe I'm feeling down, I can go grab that Publix bottle and feel like I'm back home. It's like you're saving it. Some people um, have like a nuclear shelter, a nuclear fallout shelter of like beans and like things. You Yours is full of like Publix branded items. That's awesome. Yes. Can we can we get one of these pictures of your public experiences and put them out in the show notes, maybe or something, or tweet it out? Yes, I have a couple from the last visit, so I will definitely send. I will send one to you. <laughs> I may have a video, so I'll send it. Well, that's amazing, and I know that a lot of our listeners are passionate about this topic. So, um, if any additional questions, we can have Mary Rose Draper on this podcast throughout the year with a public segment and. Um, I'm fascinated by it. I think it's amazing. Awesome. Let's talk about brand loyalty. I I am a brand loyalist and I have successfully convinced people who travel with me to these locations that, um, you know, it's more than just a store. It's an experience. And that's why their slogan is we're shopping as a pleasure. So if you ever want to hire me for a commercial Publix, by the way. Um, but I recently referred to them as like the the Chick-fil-A of grocery stores because they're always so nice and friendly and polite and consistent. And 
Um, yeah. So as I sit here with my I Love Publix mug. <laughs> <laughs> the, the chicken tender pub sob that you had me order is one of the best sandwiches I've ever had. Um, and you certainly turned me towards being a Publix loyalist. When I go to the South, I go to Publix. I went to one in Charlotte a couple of times over the past few months when I was um, on a getaway. So, man, I'm just fascinated. Brian, do you have any questions about Publix? No, it's just more, I don't think I'm as brand loyal to anything (laughs) other than my hockey team than that Mary is as she is brand loyal to Publix. (laughs) I mean, to go to the grocery store, most of us go to the closest one. Mary will drive (laughs) four hours to go to a grocery store. I mean, that is loyalty. And the fact that the one in Nashville thinks that you live in Nashville, that's one of my favorite parts of the whole thing. Oh, yeah. At the deli, they're like, oh, she's a regular. Give her extra. (laughs) Inside, I feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah. Well... Thanks for sharing. Love any feedback that you all have on the public's topic. Uh, hopefully our listeners have some follow-up questions. Yeah, I am going to have to come to another podcast and talk about something other than Publix because I definitely am being branded the, <laughs> the crazy grocery store lady. But we've done some research um, lately for a few different clients, and um, it's it it's nice that I'm trusted with handling that material because I am such a loyalist. Yeah, I, I probably can't divulge anything, but no. there's a certain type of study that every time we run it, some for some reason, Mary, you get a perfect NPS for. <laughs> and can't divulge the client, but let's just say it's somewhat related to the current topic. Um, yes, I am motivated <laughs> for that perfect score. <laughs> Unrelated. All right, let's move on, Brian. What do we have next? Yeah, uh, let's cover some market research news. Our first story broke... Probably 35 minutes after we finished recording the last episode. Of course. Um, Confirmit has agreed to merge with Focus Vision. Yeah, this is a that's a huge deal um, in market marketing research. Um, Confirmit, which is European based, has been around I don't know 15ish years, and um, Focus Vision, which was started by Jane in Brazil who's a friend of the podcast, um, he's a former CEO and has left the company, but I guess 20 plus years ago, uh, merged and um, pretty pretty big deal if you program surveys, which probably most of our listeners do. Um, not sure what they're going to do with it yet. It's, in some ways, it's kind of an odd merger, but I think that there are certainly features within Confirmit that um, are a little more advanced. And by the way, I should probably say we do have a focus vision contract at EMI. Um, so I'm excited about what will happen um, if the features from Confirmit kind of join the Decipher platform or maybe they'll create a new platform. Or, But I do think this is another level of innovation that we haven't really seen a lot of like mergers in the programming world. So this will be kind of interesting. And Mary, I know this is near and dear to your heart. What do, what do, you, what do you have any thoughts there? I think this is a power move. I, I look forward to seeing the the suite of services that are going to be available. As you mentioned, we do have a contract at EMI with Focus Vision. And I think when we're not programming in that platform, then confirm it is probably the next option that we're going with. So um, I definitely see some features from both platforms that would be, would be great to combine into one effort. Um, I do think that Focus Vision has acquired a few other services over the last couple of years um, that 
are underutilized. So I think that will help bring some of those like reporting features and functions that confirm it has to that focus vision platform to make it, you know, more well-rounded offering. I'm looking forward to seeing how they do it, but I do think there are also struggles um, when companies of that size merge. So um, I don't expect to see anything happen with it very quickly, but I do think that um, it's definitely in the best interest for the industry. Yep. Well said. Let's move on to the next one, Brian. Yeah. Our next story Research America has acquired Segmedica Pharma and Healthcare Research. Yeah, so Research America, which has a, a significant presence here in Cincinnati, having acquired a couple of um, companies here locally. I think they acquired, let's see, uh, Repass uh, with Rex Repass, who's been on the podcast before, and Parker Marketing Research. And um, this is another acquisition for Research America. I think that the article said that there's been 16, is that what the total was? 16 in the past six years, which is pretty amazing. Um, so good for, good for Research America. They kind of um, acquire little companies and add it to their big giant company. And I think this is a good move for them. I wasn't familiar with this company before, but I would think that um, anything that's like pharma or health related at this point of society is um, probably a decent acquisition and probably a good bet, um, given what's going on. Yeah, I agree with you. It seems like it's a good niche to expand your overall market share into. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we'll see see how they integrate that and um, look forward to more news from them. Um, ready for our next story? Yes. All right. And this one came as a bit of a surprise when you, I am, when you sent it to me. My response was, whoa. Um, Matt Gershner has joined Sample Chain as their new chief strategy and revenue officer, leaving Greenbook. Yeah, this is kind of a big deal. So um, we've mentioned before, we have a Sample Chain contract, and um, I've known Matt for a while. He's been in the sample industry for quite a while, and he was at Greenbook recently, and he's very well connected. Most people listening have probably met Matt Gershner. He has a big personality and super smart. And so I think that he's kind of what Sample Chain kind of needed. They start to grow. Um, and so he'll be chief strategy and revenue officer. And so looking forward to see what happens there. Mary, do you have any thoughts there? I do. I think that's a great move for them. Um, again, we're very connected with Sample Chain. And I think that's a great team that they're continuing to add to and build on there. I think that um, Matt's experience, like you mentioned, coming from like Green Book and having so much previous panel experience with flight speed. And um, I believe he formerly was with eRewards. So I think having um, another tool in that sample chain toolbox that has so much history and knowledge of our industry and some of the issues that we face with fraud that um, I think that's a, a, a great um, addition to their team. Mary, I love having you on this podcast because you come prepared, man. This is not like season one or two where we would just kind of, Brian would read the news story and we'd have to re, basically live react. <laughs> Season four, we have people that are prepared on this podcast. So uh, impressive. Thank you. I set the bar high for um, episode episode three guests. <laughs> you know, I think last year, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, I think most people came really prepared. Tony Brown was unbelievably prepared when he came on. Jason Enderhees was prepared. Andrew DeSellis. Maybe the, they're setting the bar Maybe I'm the one that has the bar low. Um, that might have been. They caused you to kind of step up your prep game. Right, right. And, I mean, you did hear this morning how I prepped 
for the podcast by thinking about the <laughs> the intro music. I definitely remember before me inquiring, like, well, what do we do to prepare for this? And you're like, John, just show up and press the button. We'll start recording. <laughs> just do it live. Um, we moved on from that, thankfully. Hopefully our listeners recognize that. A little more prep involved now. Not just yeah. me doing prep. Right. Well, you are an award-nominated podcast, so. That's right. Thank you, Mary. We, we were honorable mention um, for, what was it from? Was that IEX? with the uh, Little Bird Marketing. Um, so we're audible mention there. And we did, we were in the list of top, the, the podcast that you were on was on the top three podcasts of the year from Mike Carroll. And that's a huge, because if you saw his list of podcasts he listens to, it is like dozens. <laughs> so getting one of the top episodes there was huge. All because of show prep. That's right. <laughs> All right, Brian, we can move on. All right. On our final story, Brad Rakistales, the president and CEO of Congencia, the data and insights MarTech firm based in Chicago, has been fired for his part of storming the Capitol building last week. I don't think we want to get into the politics of that, but it's more of their the consequences, and this one kind of touched home for our industry. Oh, I have a lot to say about it. No, I'm kidding. Um <laughs> I have a I lot of cut buttons. Right. <laughs> uh, I wasn't familiar with them, but, um, you know, it, I think there was a lot of activity on online about this throughout our industry. And so rightly so. And we'll just move on from there. Yeah. This story was all across all the different um, mar- market research news sites, and it was front and center. It's still front and center on a couple of them. Well, I will say this is that, we live in a world today that you have to be careful of anything you do in life. Everything you do reflects on you personally and the company you represent. And that includes social media. We've seen lots of people get fired for social media reasons. Whether you agree with it or not, companies are going to do it. And so, you know, this is just another reminder. Be careful with what you do and anything you do. That's a good point, Brian. I actually just had that conversation with um, my son the other day. We, they're teenagers who are um, attending school from home. And so they're spending a lot more time online and about to head into the workforce within the next few years. And I gently reminded them that, you, you know, there is um, a digital footprint and ways that people can link you to your activities and behaviors that could impact you in your career. So while I do encourage them to be f- free thinkers and express their thoughts that um, they should keep in mind that while they're doing that, um, people are watching and, and there could potentially be consequences that are um, going to impact their careers or other areas of their lives. You know, I can't imagine being a child of your children's ages that have kind of grown up with social media at a young age. It was, you know, everybody was using social media when, when, when they're young and the possible impact to them of the job market, you know, five years from now or 10 years from now, like are people going to be like this person did a Snapchat when they're eight years old or, you know, did something stupid on Instagram when they were 12. I really hope we don't get to that point in society, but I think unfortunately we may. So, yeah, to your point, be careful. All right. We do have one bigger topic for today. Um, and that's, Mary, that's just the real reason we asked you to come on, was I want to talk a little bit about how how you pick your panel providers and kind of network management. It's a, it's a topic that we've touched on previously in webinars, but 
I think it's good to talk about here as well because it's it's more it's more of a topic that can impact the overall industry, and it's good going into this new year. Well, yeah, let me set the stage for Mary because this is Mary's job, um, <laughs> and EMI has been doing this for over twenty years, and um, we don't just kind of pick any partner that says, "Hey, let's let's work together." We have a system in place that Mary will kind of go through, and we'll discuss about how we. Um, add a partner to our network, identify an ad to our network, and manage it and maintain it in our network. And I think a, a lot of companies don't know how to do this, so I'm hoping that people can learn from this, at least hopefully something out of it. Um, and with all of the integrations that are going on now with APIs and DIY tools where it's like everybody connects with each other, we don't really have that philosophy. And I don't know if that's old school or um, – but we're very careful with how we add partners to our network, and we always think of our customer and our clients and quality in mind. And so, man, Mary, I'm so happy to have you on to talk about this. Sure, I'm happy to. Um, I yeah, actually so, had a conversation. Um, just had a conversation with one of our new hires actually about the process of how we onboard new resources, and I took it way back with her. I said, you know, starting 20 years ago when you know, most of research was not online, that a lot of it was happening with, you know, phone centers and databases and in person, how it was easy to pick a panel provider at that time um, in the infancy stages of EMI because there were only a handful to choose from. And now there are literally thousands of places that you can typically go to to get a response from um, a participant in a survey. So um, there's a little bit of art, a little bit of science in our method at EMI. I think finding um, a panel these days isn't very difficult because there's so many ways that you can research online different panels that offer um, different types of targeting, um, different countries that they might support. I think my personal preference is word of mouth, like referral. Um, oftentimes we'll hear from different clients that we work with that they've had a good experience with the panel that may not already be in our network. Um, we found a lot of good resources through the marketplaces that exist. Sometimes it's a little bit harder for some of the startup companies to have um, the marketing presence, but they're able to integrate with the marketplace um, in the beginning stages of their um, sampling. And so sometimes we find resources there. There are a lot of inbound inquiries that we have to filter through as well. A lot of panels might reach out through LinkedIn or um, contact one of our salespeople as they move from one company to another. So th there's a lot of ways to kind of have that introduction step um, to where a panel is kind of discovered. And then there are also um, times where we may know that we have a gap, an area, um, a target that we have to fill, and we'll seek out niche panels that um, are unique in the industry that have an offering that not every panel has. Maybe there's a specialty panel that you know only recruits for executives, C-suite executives, or maybe there's a panel that is only for you know moms who use product samples. So um, there's you know, again, there's art and science to finding the panels initially, but then um, I think what makes EMI unique are the next steps past that initial, you know, discovery of the the resource or the asset. 
once we have made the initial contact, we have an extensive kind of like an interview process. Almost for hiring a candidate, we have an application that they have to submit. Um, we very closely and thoroughly review the SMR 28 document, um, which I think we are finding more now that um, with some of the non-traditional panels that we are working with or non-traditional resources, I should say, um, not everyone is able to complete that um I hate to say that old school SMR 28, but um, it is. I'll talk to you there, Mary. Yeah. Um, I'll just say it. SMR 28 is outdated and it hasn't been updated in a few years. Um, I think there is a committee getting together to update the SMR 28. It is certainly one of the best ways to evaluate a sample provider, but it doesn't go far enough. And so that's why we created our own document, which you've updated over the past few years, which in some ways mirrors the SMR20, but that's a lot more questions that are more relevant for modern sampling, right? Right. I mean, the de- the definitions of like river sample of old, and that's yeah. just not how we look at things anymore. And now that you have the ability to do recruitment through like blockchain companies and through social media platforms and things like that, it, it just definitely has to adapt to the times. Um, But along with documents like that, we look at panel books, we look at that application, we check out websites, and we have um, a quality council at EMI, um, a a team that represents each department of our company. So we have someone that represents our sales team, our research management arm. Um, Brian, you're a part of the council. So we have our insights and marketing represented, um, as well as a few executive level um, representatives on a quality council. And we sit and we talk and we review each panel's application, what their offering is, and see if we feel that they meet EMI's core values if they are a company who we want to um, extend an invitation to join our network to because the the suppliers that we work with, they're an extension of our team. Um, And so we want to feel confident and comfortable with the asset that they're offering. Um, So once we go through that process of reviewing that document, we internally have kind of like a a, a vote, um, if you will, if we want to move that panel on to the next stage. Um, past that point, then we'll set up an initial telephone conversation with the account manager, sales rep at said resource, um, and just go over what they have to offer and get a feel for if they're a company that we feel like, like I mentioned, meets EMI's core values and, and it will be a healthy partnership. Um, so once they've gone through all of those stages and they essentially have talked to our quality council, we've presented the information on that company to our larger team. Um, then our next phase is potentially engaging with research on research. Um, Brian, you want to talk a little bit about how we do that with new partners? I was going to say, oh, that sounds fascinating. Tell me more. But, uh, <laughs> that's, what, that's where, uh, well, Mary and I, she leads this, but we work pretty closely hand in hand on this. I'm kind of fascinated by the newer blockchain and tech companies. And so I just kind of like to get my hands dirty. But to Mary's point is that we try to put them through our research on research and compare them. Um, It's it's an opportunity for us to kind of get them, um, our systems talking to each other um, without risking a live project. And so we we put them through the research on research in order to get our systems talking. Um, We can kind of test their service. We can test their accuracy in terms of 
hey, we need 50 completes and see if they get us three completes or they get us 4,000 completes or they get us 50 completes. And it really allows us some real-time data, uh, live data with our panel that we can get feedback on before we put them on a client study. So um, we evaluate it from a quality perspective and also from an attitude and behavioral standpoint to see how they compare and they kind of, I try to fit them into our network that way as well, not just the more traditional way of um, what they're good at targeting and things like that. So that's what I do. Yes. And we send them to that research on research through our um, proprietary dashboard that we've developed to aggregate um, the different suppliers that has a very sophisticated digital fingerprinting process where we also partner with Sample Chain. So we have an opportunity at that point also to um, uncover any red flags to see if there is a lot of fraudulent traffic or, you know, bot activity in those early stages before, as you mentioned, we give them a shot at some of our clients' um, live projects. Once a supplier has passed through that process, then, um, and we feel comfortable with the data that we're seeing in the research on research and everything else, um, they're still not quite all the way in. So there's a 90-day probationary period where um, our sales team will send them quotes. We'll be able to compare their price point to other um suppliers that are comparable to them in the marketplace and also um, give them, ideally we'll give them a shot on a couple of projects, but we do limit the volume of completes that we will allow from any new supplier until again, we have had um, a sufficient amount of time to review the quality of the data that the respondents are giving um, and to evaluate the traffic um, the health of the traffic that comes in. So once we pass that 90-day evaluation period and everything checks out, um, we typically would extend the the full partnership, um, which is constantly under review. We're always looking at quality metrics. We're always looking at removal rates and bot activity. Um, however, there are circumstances that we get to that 90-day time frame and we haven't had a great experience. Maybe the project managers aren't responsive or the price points are um, not in line with our expectations, or if we see that we're seeing a lot of um, bot activity or removals from our client, we didn't have a positive experience, then at that point we would um, reject that panel from the network. I think there have been a handful of suppliers in the last year or so that I've had to, you know, kind of send that termination of partnership letter to. Um, but ahead of doing that, if we've got an, a, a relationship with the panel that's longstanding, I think that we we do a good job internally of extending feedback on where we see that they can make improvements. I'm constantly having conversations with panel providers um, on just the, the data that we're seeing on our side and where they could possibly make some improvements and then checking back in six weeks later, 12 weeks later to see how things have improved. And it's an ongoing relationship. That's why we call the suppliers in our networks our, our partners, because we don't look at them as just um, a company that we're buying an asset from. We are treating them as extensions of our teams and, and partnering to make sure that we're reaching our clients' objectives collaboratively. I feel like that's a lot of work, Mary. <laughs> I feel like that's a lot of work too, considering that's just the one part of managing our network. Um, one thing I'd like to ask you is, um, you know, we have a mix of sample providers that are kind of on the exchanges, but you also have a lot more traditional panels as well um, that you can't find on the exchanges, right? Um, 
that's, and that's certainly an asset for us. Absolutely. And I think it's important to have a good, healthy, actually balance of all of those things. I think, you know, five years ago, we probably would have shied away from using, you know, too much mobile sample, but now it's kind of the norm to restrict, you know, our, our traffic to only 80% desktop when that doesn't mirror the population. Um, right. We have to think about when you're talking about traditional panels that are sending email invitations versus, you know, the, the blockchain types of partnerships that are reaching respondents in far different ways um, and the recruiting via social media, like in order to um, have proper representation of our community, it's important to work with different varieties of companies that are sourcing from a farther, farther variety of methods. Yep. I'm just, I mean, I'm going to talk about a couple of benefits that um, we could have, we could talk about this all day long, but I think that one of the things you mentioned is that we recruit new assets very differently. And I think one of the things I'm proud about is that we have a lot of different like B2B panels, more traditional B2B panels. Like we have an ITDM panel in Czech Republic. We don't work with them every day, but when that comes up, we have that kind of in our toolbox. We have like nutritionist panel. Um, and then with like consumers, we have like an asset um, LBGTQ panel and a marijuana smokers panel. A lot of these aren't on the more exchange exchanges that are really popular. So those are, that's more of the, when people thought of EMI probably up until five years ago, that's what they thought about that we could find pretty much anybody. We had a panel that could access it. Right. And so um, we still have that. We still do a little bit of that. It's just we're, we're also very modern with how we think of sampling as well. I agree. And I do think, you know, there's something to be said about um, the experience and the industry knowledge that we carry along with having access to those panels. Um, it's not just something where we're pinging them, you know, we're firing off a um, an API code to their dashboard to have their respondents sending to our surveys. I think that we're, or just to any survey that we have, I think we're very um, methodical in the way that we pick the kinds of projects that are best suited for the suppliers that we work with. So it goes both ways. While we very strategically blend sample for our partners, we're also very selective in the types of projects that we um, make available to the panels as well. Yeah, what well, one I'm going to ask you about how we how you manage the panels once they are they're entered. Do we just let them into our our network and they just let them go? But at first, one of the, I'll let you think about that, Mary. Um, but one of the things I'm really proud of that we do is that a lot of times we get new. I won't even say they're market research panels. They're groups of people that a company has that we try to help the, leverage them to take surveys because we feel like the industry needs that target, for example. And so one of the things that we do that I'm really proud of that EMI does is we help newer panels get into our network and we help them create standards that meet our client standards in terms of like, how do you survey them? What kind of invitations and the quality standards, make sure they're, they're um, following the same quality standards that we expect and how often to reach out to them, for example. Um, so we've done that a lot. That's something that we, I really enjoy personally is to try to advise panels about um, because we need, we all know we need to kind of grow the network of people to take surveys and we ha always have needs for targeting ability. But now I'll get to the question, Mary, is uh, once they're into the, once they're in the network, um, what do you do then? 
Well, before I get to that, I do kind of want to circle back onto something that you mentioned about how we're working with um, some of these new and up and coming. You referred to them as you know different types of panels, but um, I think we look at it more as like communities or you know different offerings. If we see that you know perhaps there's a platform that is heavily involved with social media influencers, then um, helping them having extensive meetings and conversations with companies like this to help them to help introduce them to what market research is and the value that um, we would add for them to give their community members something else to engage in while also helping them, you know, perhaps reward some type of incentive or give their opinion on something that they're already enthusiastic about. So, um, I, yeah, I think it definitely is far more further reaching than just your traditional panel company whose, um, you know, core business model is just to pull together a database of respondents to participate in surveys. I think that it's, it's, it's a larger community that we're reaching out to now. So I do think that that's one of the benefits of EMI. I, I appreciate that about our team that we have an open mind about where we're gathering our resources from. Um, so like you mentioned, once they're in, how do we, <laughs> <laughs> how do they stay in? Um, and you know me, uh, I'll introduce that to the to the to the listeners. I am a tough cookie. I'm a hard judge. You want to fire them? Yeah, I would. On any given day, I will scroll through our quality report looking for a panel to reject um, from the network. But again, the first step isn't just rejection; it's partnering with them to give them feedback on why we think that there may be some concerns. But once we have a panel on our network, we have um, a lot of different reports that we've set up to help us monitor the type of activity that we're seeing. So. Um, Thanks to some of our partnerships with companies like Sample Chain, um, we're able to monitor real time the fraudulent activity that we might be seeing. And oftentimes we're able to catch some of those bots or infiltrators before some of the panel providers are able to detect it in their own network um, because we see the different, um, the score that we keep for them uh, decreasing or changing or fluctuating um, unusually over time. So we can reach out and say, hey, we've seen some trends in your sample, um, send them the data that we're capturing. And in some cases, they've been able to reach back into their um, panel onboarding process themselves and see, yes, you're right on this day, we had a, you know, a fluctuation of new registrants, and we've cut off recruitment from those sources. And, you know, within a matter of weeks, we've seen marked improvements in some of the traffic that we're getting. So um, maintaining the network is an intricate process of constantly reviewing the feedback from our clients that we're getting on removals and also, um, like I mentioned, the, the bot and fraud activity, but also um, staying engaged with them as they increase the offering that they have, as they add new profile points or increase um, some of the offerings that they have in different markets um, oftentimes we'll start with a working with a panel who maybe only has U.S. consumer in their infancy stages. And then, you know, two years later, all of a sudden they're, you know, they've acquired three other companies and they're able to support the, uh, you know, EU5 and APAC markets. So um, 
always engaging to find out what's new and um, collaborating on staying on top of the trends in the industry. Whew, that was a lot. Um, by the way, I think we still have only about a, a third of the people that try to enter our network that we actually let in. <laughs> that has been a longstanding tradition of um, it's not easy to get into our network. I mean, you just spoke for quite a while about how to get into our network um, and how we manage our network. But um, I think that's something we're very proud of, um, that we've been doing this for over 20 years and we were aggregating way before it was cool and we built a process and how to build a network. And so I'm hoping people, hopefully people learned um, something today because that was just a master class on how to identify um, a good sample provider. We could, we could do like a series of podcasts on this. This is really tip of the iceberg. Um, is there anything that we missed, Mary? Is there anything that you want to add to kind of that? That was a lot. Maybe maybe we didn't miss anything. That that was a lot. I would I have to say I, you you mentioned that we you know probably only allowing about a third. I think I might have lowered that. I think I'm <laughs> <laughs> letting, letting in a little bit less than that. Um, you know, but you have to prove your worth and prove your val- uh, value in, in any area of our business. So, um, no, I don't know that we mentioned, uh, forgot to mention anything about our process of at least vetting and onboarding and kind of maintaining. The maintaining of relationships is something that will be ever changing. And as, you know, as things, trends change in our business, we'll continue to be agile and adjust how we evaluate. I will say one piece of advice that I have, I'm sure you'll agree, one of the keys to success for us is really building a true partnership with our key partners. And because we're honestly, what we do is we sell their assets. We we need to know it as well as they do when we sell it to our clients. And, and I've often said that we know it better than they do because we know how their asset compares to the other network. But We really try to build a really close relationship with our partner network and truly understand how they recruit to it, how the respondents access the survey, um, what their profiling techniques are, how many variables they profile, um, specifically where they recruit from. Um, There's a million things, and we have ongoing conversations just about learning anything new that's going on with their their network. Um, So that's probably the big key for me. Yeah, I agree. I think that circles back to, like we mentioned, that we we consider, you know, the suppliers that we work with actual partners. Um, it's a partnership. Yep. Brian, what did you think of that? You weren't expecting that level of detail from Mary Rose Draper, were you? Uh, actually, I was. I know Mary. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's, uh, Mary, thank you so much for joining because that um, not many people in the industry can can talk to that level of detail, how important it is to select the right partner um, to access a survey and deliver quality data. And it's it's not even your full-time job. I wish we could have you do it full-time because it's needed. Um, but you do a lot of other things as well. You wear a lot of hats like most of us at EMI. But I mean, I can't thank you enough for coming on. And um, for anybody listening, please reach out if you have any questions. Um, Mary is our network quality officer and she manages our network, but I think most people at EMI um, can say very similar things about our network and, um, as well. So reach out to our team. We're, we're pretty good at the, the sampling part of it. And if you have any questions, we're always happy to answer them. Um, Brian, am I missing anything before we go? I think that's everything. 
All right. Well, hey, thanks for listening. If you listen this long, you're really a sample expert, um, and we expect feedback from you. Um, and so thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.